At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. My name is Ariel Kestenbaum, and I am the founder of Fair Meals, a 501c3 status nonprofit that focuses on easy, healthy, and affordable meal solutions for families of all walks of life. On our website, fairmeals.org, you can find free of charge, tons of tips, tricks, and recipes that encompass our three pillars of health, ease, and affordability. To help continue to make our programming the best it can be, please consider donating to this amazing initiative at fairmeals.org forward slash donate. Now let's jump to a different part of the country. Let's get up to Baltimore. Let's spend some time with Eric DaCosta. Now, Eric is a very, very interesting person. He's very intelligent, very introspective, and has a, a really, really good, insightful approach to this game. Welcome to the GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov. I mean, here's a guy that was a part of the the uh, Ravens paradigm for a number of years under Ozzie Newsome, one of the very best in the business ever. And he he was able to be tutored uh, under him and, and mentored by Ozzie Newsome. And what a, what a great opportunity to learn. And he hung in there many years, of course. Uh, many people were watching for him and looking for him to leave uh, and take a job, but he stayed put. He is so firmly entrenched in that organization, so firmly respected by his owner. And again, very, very intelligent. You'll, you'll, you'll determine very quickly in the interview how much he has to offer and uh, where his intelligence level is and his insight is. So take a ride with us. Enjoy the ride with myself and Eric DaCosta. And I know you'll be highly impressed. Let's kick this off. Eric, you've been in, this, in the league, in the National Football League, for 26 years now. Yeah. Two as a general manager going into your third year. Yep. You kicked ass coming out of the gate as the executive of the year. You've done some great things all through all of your years. You've been around some great, really intelligent football people. Uh, obviously very intelligent yourself. 
over these years, you've learned a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been around guys like Ozzie Newsome, who are unbelievably talented and, and are world renowned for, for being a sports leader. How did you approach that? What was your personal approach to following a guy like Ozzie Newsome? Well, I think, you know, obviously big shoes to, to fill. It's something that people should know. Like I knew in 2007 that I would be the next general manager, which isn't the typical situation for most general managers. I became the general manager in 2019. So I had a 12 year period where I was on the job training. You know, Steve Bishotti, our owner, asked me to be his next general manager. And, and Ozzy knew that. There were no surprises. There was a plan of secession. It was all about, you know, when Ozzy was ready to retire, that's what would happen. So I had a long time to think about what it would look like. And, you know, there was pressure. I mean, obviously, as you alluded to, Thomas, Hall of Fame player, probably a Hall of Fame executive, college Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame, first two draft picks of Ozzie Newsom's tenure in the Hall of Fame, Jonathan Ogden, Ray Lewis, huge shoes to fill. So uh, I decided I was going to try to do it my way, um, be a little bit more aggressive, probably a little bit more outside the box, a little more creative, and yet still try to emulate Ozzie's humility, uh, his ability to work with other people, with head coaches, which I think is critically important, which we can talk about, uh, his ability as an evaluator to focus on football, all those different things, and yet do it my way. You obviously have that side to you. I mean, from afar, it's, you're, it's admirable how you approach things, and we can get into that a little bit later about the aggressiveness and the mm -hmm. approach, because I think that's what I believe in 100%. Yeah. I, there's, you can't sit on your hands in this yeah. league. What was the, the, the sort of most sort of enlightening lesson of leadership, team building that you learned from, from a guy like Ozzie Newsom? I think just watching him interact with the three coaches that we've had. Yep. And when you think about the Ravens organization, 25 seasons, three head coaches, before mm -hmm. me, one general manager, and all of our head coaches very, very different. You had Ted Marchabrota, very much old school, kind of an NFL legend, had been a head coach two other times and with the uh, Baltimore Colts and then the Indianapolis Colts, older than Ozzy uh, by, by a lot. And so that changes the dynamic. Then you got the younger, Brian Billick, brash, some might say uh, outspoken, somewhat arrogant, uh, strong opinions, uh, very intelligent. And then John Harbaugh, totally different too, very intense, cerebral, uh, strong leadership, but again, very firm in his beliefs. And watching Ozzy navigate those different personalities and the way that he did that, extremely impressive. And, and I think when people talk about Ozzy, they, they don't understand how he interacts with people. He's a relationship builder, humility. This is a guy that's really succeeded at every walk of his life in many different ways, and yet his humility just bleeds through. And uh, he doesn't have to be the guy. He's a part of the process. It's always about the organization. So for me, just watching him in those relationships, how he would navigate challenging situations, as you know, Thomas, it can be really difficult working with head coaches and presidents and different people. And Ozzy did it so masterfully that it was hard for me not to pay attention. Well, that's great. I mean, I can only imagine being around that over those years. Keeping your proverbial notes in your proverbial yeah, book yeah. Is, is amazing. We all were, were taught to do that. And you, you, again, not only being around Ozzy, but other people. You guys have had unprecedented success within the organization, again, as the Baltimore Ravens and how they're perceived and what you guys have achieved over the years. 
through that, when you have an organization like that, you lose some very good people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember being in, in, in New England. We were always losing people. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah. You guys have had to deal with that. You guys have had, again, talented people that you've lost. As a general manager, how complicated is that? How do you approach that? And how do you approach succession planning when you know yeah. that year to year you're going to be losing really good football people? Well, you know, you're right. And I think in my time in Baltimore, we've had six people go on to become general managers that have worked under Ozzy. Um, the latest, Joe Douglas, mm-hmm. who I know you spoke to, who I think the world of. And I think the idea is that the hiring for your staff is a lot like the draft. It's got to happen every year. You've got to find young guys or young women who can come in. We're going to talk to Sarah later on. But you've got to find young talent that can come in and develop and learn and nurture and become the next really valuable members of your organization. So we try and do that. We're not a club that has historically gone out and hired people from other organizations. We haven't done that very much. We've, we've done it a few times. But in general, we try to hire younger people that have a passion. They're curious, irreverent, uh, intelligent, passionate about the game of football, willing to learn about the game of football. Give them a chance. And as Ozzy, as Ozzy once said, the more you can do, the more you can do. Give them a chance to grow in the organization and end up being the next great scout, analyst, director, whatever that might be, but promote from within. Give them a chance to learn the culture and to see what they can do. Well, I mean, again, I I continue. Over the years, I've always looked at your roster of people on the personnel side. I mean, it is very talented and very well thought out how you guys have put it together prior to you being in the GM role and of course all along because you were in charge of that department mm-hmm. you've kept some great people and you continue to school them along the way um, you you have one of the most highly revered owners that you are working with and for and that's uh, in Steve Bashotti unbelievable I know you have a great relationship mm-hmm. with him what is your what's the key to a great relationship with an owner like Steven and, and, you know, how do you, if you were to advise some up-and-coming general managers, how would you advise them to approach their relationship with the owner? Well, every owner's different. Mm-hmm. Steve and I actually share the same birthday, which uh, is a small thing, but in a strange sort of way, mm-hmm. it, it probably brought us together way back when. Uh, he's, a, he's an intense person. He's in a, a strong opinions, uh, but they're based in fact and they're... they're and he's not afraid to tell you what he thinks. And I think Steve welcomes that trait in other people. And so one time, a long time ago, he said to me, Eric, the thing that I admire about you is you tell me what you think, not what you think I want to hear. Hmm. And I would tell anybody that, that has a, a boss or a supervisor or a manager, whatever it is, um, Give them your honest opinion and do it based on your work, based on your fact, based on what you've come up with. Don't try and BS them or tell them what you think the, the proper answer might be or the, you know, the political answer might be or what they might want to hear. Be honest. They've hired you to give your opinion based on what you think. And an intelligent person is going to be able to see through that. And they're going to, they're going to be able to look at you and say, he's genuine, he's not genuine. She's doing the work, she's not doing the work, and they're gonna respect you for that. I've thought about this a lot because I know how important it is. And, and the longer you are in a relationship with an owner, hopefully the more candid you can be and the more honest you can be. And I would say to anyone, Eric, completely in line with what you're saying, it is imperative that you're, you're candid and you're honest mm-hmm. as far as 
who you are as a person. Even I would even go as far as saying, and it's not that easy. I know when yeah. you're on the verge of getting a GM job, and we start talking about you know advising up and coming executives, you want to say the right thing to the owner. But I would say the most important thing is being honest with the owner about who you are as a rising executive. Mm -hmm. There's no point in getting into a relationship with an owner, an ownership group. If you're BSing about something just to, to appeal to them, mm -hmm. right? Because you're going to kick off a really, really complicated relationship. And you're going to fail. Eventually, you're probably going to fail. And so I was blessed in some ways. And, you know, we can talk about my career with the Ravens and my, my decisions to stay and various things. But I felt that one of the advantages that I had in terms of like looking at could I succeed was that my owner knew me. He knew my strengths. He knew my weaknesses. And he wanted me to be the GM. Uh, I wasn't trying to sell somebody on my potential to be the GM or trying to sell somebody on, well, this is what we can do or this is what we can't do. I knew Steve Bishotti and Steve Bishotti knew me. There were no illusions. He, he knew and he would say to me, hey, you need to work on this or this, you do this really well. This is something you need to think about. And so for me, over the last 12 years, he would say to me, you need to know the people in the league office. You need to under, have a keener understanding of the salary cap. Or I want us to think about doing deals like this. And I had the opportunity over 12 years to do that yeah. before I was the GM. Huge advantage. Huge. I love that. I mean, sometimes people are rushing to that GM spot. Mm -hmm. You had an unbelievably fortunate situation where you were able, again, to be around some great people and you were able to really grow and, and, and evolve into that spot. You know as well as I do, no disrespect to anyone who jumped yeah. in. I'm, look, yeah. I, was, I was one of those people who had nowhere near the experience you had when I took the GM job back in 08. I was on the road. I was a college director. You had you have the opportunity or had the opportunity to be around a lot and were edified in so many ways, which I, I think is amazing. You've also had the, the really good fortune of being around some really good football coaches, oh, right? Yeah. And you, yeah. you, you know, being around, you know, John Harbaugh and what he is as a strong, tough, hard nosed, opinionated, very well-rounded football coach. Tell me about that as a general manager and how you navigate that relationship mm -hmm. and how the two of you, you know, thrive as a GM head yeah. coaching partnership. Well, before that, and it's very similar, Thomas, to what you had in, in New England. But before that, you know, even when I started out, you know, I mean, uh, we had Kirk Ferentz yeah. and we had Marvin Lewis and we had Pat Hill. And I mean, we had, we had all these it was a galaxy of stars, yeah. as Pat Moriarty always likes to say. It really was. So I got used to being around these really talented people. I mean, we had Phil Savage became a GM, and we had Scott Pioli. All these guys you worked with in Cleveland, yeah. so you know. But these were really, really good people. Jim Schwartz became a head yeah. coach. Eric Mangini. We were all together in Baltimore. So I got a chance to see what it could look like or what it should look like. These really smart, innovative, great coaches and scouts and all those different things. And so, you know, I can tell you this, like, being with John, we're, we're very much aligned. And again, I, I had a chance to see John from a different perspective as the assistant GM and the director of player personnel. But we are very aligned in, in the vision and the culture that he's built. And I, I have tremendous respect for the, the culture that John Harbaugh has built. Uh, it takes time, as you know, you've been in some great cultures. It takes time, but I know what it should look like. And we've had great assistant coaches. We've had a lot of guys that have gone on to become head coaches. Uh, most recently, David Cully this year. But I know this is what it needs to be. And so I spend every day with John, every morning, usually every night before I go home, uh, talking about the day, the vision, the plan, 
this idea, that idea. I think he respects my aggressiveness. I think he respects that I'm willing to do everything possible to look under every rock for an opportunity, for value, for a player, whatever that might be. I think he likes that. We're very similar probably from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. He's not really a sit-on-your-hands type of guy. Uh, so we work well together. Then we'll have some fights. Yeah. You know, we'll have some healthy fights, usually around draft time. Uh, but I think that's really healthy. And the good thing is sometimes he's right, sometimes I'm right. So it balances out and it ends up being a really good synergy. I love that. I mean, that's what you need, right? Yeah. The synergy is so important. Along with the synergy of the head coach, you as a general manager also have to have synergy with the coaching staff. I'm talking about the mm-hmm. coordinators yeah. and the position coaches. I could go on and on talking about the importance of that yeah. because we know yeah. that. Of course, the head coach is the most important, yeah. but those coordinators and those position coaches are vital. I have a very strong opinion about making sure that you put together the right coaching staff. It's sure. not just about having loyalists or, or what I like to call loyal myrmidons, myrmidons yeah. with the head coach. It's about making sure that you have the right people in place, right? So are you involved in the coaching selection with John? Is your owner involved? How do you guys approach that to make sure you get the best staff that you can possibly get? Yeah, well, I think the great thing about John is he's open to to basically anything, and he's a guy that can take opinions extremely well. Uh, I, I would say that I think John has a great pulse on coaches in general for the most part. He will consult with me. He'll ask me my opinion. He'll say, do you know anybody? What do you think of this guy? Would you spend some time with this guy? Um, I really think that John has a great feel for, again, the culture and where we need to go. And so, and he's not afraid to hire someone controversial. He's not afraid to fire somebody mid-season, uh, which isn't easy to do, as you know. Of course. Uh, we've turned the coaching staff over quite a bit. But he's also he's patient as well. Uh, I think he, he'll hire college guys, he'll hire pro guys, he'll hire guys that are out of work. So I, I am involved, but I also know that John is oversees the coaches. Mm-hmm. He's got a great pulse for that. I mean, he's a, he's, and he's very good with scouts too. He's very good with players. He's, he's got, a, and it's not necessarily inherent in all coaches. He's got a good ability to evaluate. And he does it very, very well. And so if you can evaluate, as you know, you can evaluate players, you can evaluate coaches, you can evaluate people, and he does a good job of that. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Today's world, don't you agree? I mean, back in the day, I remember people saying, I just want to be perceived as a football guy. Yeah. And you yeah. have to be right. I don't think that way. No. I don't. Now, I understand that mentality, and that's how Ozzy actually is. Yeah. But you can't, nowadays, yeah. you've got to understand the importance of digital media, social media, mm. the fans, the brand, ticket sales. All these right. different things are critically important, you know. Eric, you've been described in your early tenure as a GM, two going into three now, 
as tough, hard-nosed, direct. I even read an article today, and I know you didn't like to read it, that it said cutthroat. And that was respectful because yeah, yeah, yeah. that means tough ass, direct, and, and yeah, take it head on, yeah. which I love. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in not sitting on your hands in this yeah. league. Of, yeah. of course, you know, back in 11 when we went after Julio, I mean, I'm proud of that. We'll never look back on something like yeah. that. What is your stance on aggressive team building, trading, et cetera? Well, well I would say, you know, and I don't want to sound, uh, you know, whatever the word is, but... When you, you know, and, and I pay attention, I study GMs. I've always been, you know, fascinated by GMs. I, I never really, like, cared much about coaches. I mean, oh, I love coaches, but I would always study team builders, whether it was Red Auerbach or whoever it was, you know, a, a Ron Wolf or whoever it might be. And when you, when you went after Julio, I said, you know, I just really admire that. And who knows how it's going to pan out. But I love the conviction. And so, you know, I always say when we talk to people, and it might be when I talk to a player or an agent or a scout mm-hmm. uh, or whoever it might be, the Ravens are going to win this. We're going to, we have to win. Okay, so that means we're going to win the negotiation. That means if we trade a player, we need to win the trade. If I want to negotiate with somebody, if, if we're going to let somebody leave, if we're going to, we want to win because that's what our owner wants. Mm-hmm. We want to be winning. We want to win at everything we do. So uh, I, love, I love making trades. I want the trades to be fair. I want to keep relationships with people. You and I have done some trades. There was only one you that know? was a really good draw. It was Hayden Hurst yeah, that we did but, last but year. We, that was a we, good draw, we guys. Want, and we want to be yes, fair with everybody. Uh, when we do a deal uh, with an agent, we want it to be a fair deal. We want to we want to give and take because we want the player to be happy. We never want to win in such a way that the player is unhappy uh, with what happened, or the agent is upset with us for how we handled the negotiations. In saying that, uh, we we think, and I believe this, incrementally we always want to win in a transaction, and so we analyze everything we do and every decision. And we've got a really good people that work with me that will advise me, uh, whether it's George Kokinas or Joe Hortiz or Pat Moriarty or Ozzy, who's basically the best, and Nick Matteo or whoever, someone in the analytics, Dave McDonald, Sarah Male Palais, they will give us advice, give me advice, I'll listen to it, and I'll say, how can we win? It doesn't have to be a huge win, yes, right. but we're trying to win every single transaction, every single deal we negotiate, whatever that might be, and we believe if we do that over time, then we'll come out ahead. It's a great, it's a great lead into this next question. You and your organization are at the front end of compensatory picks and how you approach that that arena is a special arena, I think, within the NFL. Yeah. You guys are at the front end of it. Talk to me a little bit about that, and talk to me how you feel comfortable letting certain players go. That's a complicated spot for a GM. Yeah, well, that goes back many, many years, and it really goes back when uh, Mr. Modell was our owner, and we, just quite honestly, were not able to really participate in free agency, and we didn't have the money, and you know, we would see that there was a, a correlation between cash and winning and cash over cap and winning and it was really hard for us because we just didn't have the type of money to spend on all these outrageous free agent contracts Mm -hmm. and so uh the draft was really our model we became a very draft centric team Mm -hmm. and uh we 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 sort of figured out there was a a really uh seminal article that was written i don't know maybe 2007 2005 2007 called the loser's curse and it was really about the draft and it was really about how teams should always trade back and acquire picks and never trade up and that you should always accumulate because the draft is basically a luck-driven process. 
And so mm -hmm. uh, we really came to the conclusion that we weren't going to be able to pay. The free agency is really an irrational market. And, and the values, especially in the first couple of weeks, are just so outrageous that we couldn't get into that game. And so we would, we would let players leave. Well, by letting players leave, we then figured out, well, the only you know, value to letting players leave is if you have good players and they leave, then you get you know, reasonably high draft picks. And if you have 10 or 12 draft picks in any given year, even if you suck at drafting, you're probably going to hit on five or six picks. Now, if you're good at drafting, which we aspire to be, maybe you hit on nine out of 12 draft picks, which is a pretty good percentage. Now you have nine young players on your roster and you're churning your roster every single year. Well, we did that a few times. We hit on some comp picks and we hit on some regular draft picks. And now we have a baseline of young players to build on, and we do that every single year. Once you do it a couple times and you can get you know, 15, 20, 25 young, good, young, ascending players, it's easier to let veteran players leave. Now, when they end up leaving like a Zadarius Smith and become pro ball outside linebackers, you're like, what the hell do we do? Why do we let them leave? But you're doing it knowing that you let a Zadarius Smith leave, you draft a Matt Judon. You know, and so you, you sort of balance it out. And as we go back and think about it, and, and, and our goal is really to have nine to 12 draft picks every single year. We think that maximizes our chances and it prevents us from getting into that free agent game, which can be crazy, as you know, where guys that you think are like, you know, $7 million players are getting $12 million a year. Uh, we just refuse to participate in that game. So speaking of... of Draft and the importance of draft and having a real good understanding of, as you suggested, you have some really talented scouting uh, scouts and a scouting staff that is, again, respected across the country. I mean, everyone on your staff, I mean, it's, it's really fun to watch over the years. Some move on to be GMs, of course. Some have such a good reputation around the league. Talk to me a little bit about, given the fact that you have so many really good people on the personnel side. Yeah. Talk to me about transparency. I'm, I'm always mm -hmm. really interested in talking to GMs about how far they go with transparency. I'm, I'm a big believer in being transparent to a certain point. Yeah. Um, of course, you're transparent beyond with your head coach and your owner. How much do you share with that middle management group? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, you live and learn. And so I try to be very transparent. I call the guys in and we'll say, this is what we're doing, guys, and this is what we're not doing. And, um, I, and there's two reasons why. Number one, they may have feedback to help me make a decision. Number two, I want them to develop. And I think sometimes when you don't kind of clue people in or keep them in the loop, then you really do stunt their develop a little, a little bit. And also maybe you stunt their job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. In saying that, again, as I alluded to earlier, the organization has to win. And, 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 and every football organization or every professional sports organization and a lot of other companies have to deal with leaks information getting out, different things. And that's a really dangerous, pervasive thing. When it happens, it, it, as a general manager, as you know, it, it's really, really frustrating, really, really disappointing. So, you know, have we been 100%? No. Has stuff gotten out? Yes. Do I regret sometimes sharing as much as we do or we have? At times, yes, I do. You have to look at the, the pluses and the minuses and, the, you know, the pros and cons of doing that. But again, like, I, I'm always telling our people, hey, listen, guys, I trust you guys. I value you guys. We're a team. Mm -hmm. When things get out, when injuries get out, when moves get out, when, when issues with our draft get out, it's damaging to the club. Yeah. There are repercussions. And, and the biggest repercussion is I don't share as much. Yeah. If you're okay with that, then keep leaking stuff. 
Right. But 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 this has to be uh, a two-way street. And if I can't trust you, then I can't share information with you. We've been pretty good. Obviously, you're never 100%. It's it's one of the toughest parts of the job, that's, right? That's As you sure. know. Yep. But you do the best you can. I look back on that and I remember one time after my second year and I remember coming in and I pulled everyone in because something was getting outside in, in the media. Yeah. And I pulled everyone in and I was ready just to let it go, right? I wanted to show my, my rugged side. I pulled everyone in, all the people I had, all of my directors beside me, I had everyone else <laughs> sort of the rank and order and I was like trying to be the tough ass and I was going on and on, F this and F this. And if I hear about anyone ever, yeah. ever doing anything, and one of my directors, a really close friend of mine and a confidant of mine, right beside me, looks at me and said, T, you can look at my records any day you want. I didn't make the calls. And I looked at him and said, dude, we're trying to, to address some messages here. <laughs> you're just outing yourself. With yeah. that. But, but the reality is you're so right. Transparency is great. And yet, you know, there has to be a really strong understanding. Don't mess it up. Yeah. If you're, if you're sharing and you're, you're having some really good growth time with with everyone not only your 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 management a lot of the rank and or, rank order right i mean yeah there's some great opportunities for them to le to learn and that's important and we try to share those yeah. i think and and there's other examples with other teams and other sports but even in our sport and i and i'm constantly saying hey guys look at this situation man. let's discuss yeah. this situation how do you think this happened you know so so if I were to ask you if there were to be one thing that you would have done differently during that rising time to be the GM, yeah. before you became the GM, and you were to share, what's one thing you might have done differently? I would have spent a lot more time, uh, two things really. Number one, I would have spent a lot more time studying uh, the CBA and the salary cap specifically. Mm. And then two, building relationships with, with league people. Uh, I, I've seen, and, and, and you had a similar experience with Rich McKay, but with Ozzie Newsom being on the competition committee and his connections and various things, that's really an asset to the organization, you know. And Ozzie could get us out of situations, could get additional information, could get help, could get assistance, assistance because of those relationships. Mm -hmm. I tend to be a, a much more us versus them type of person. Uh, you know, it's the Ravens versus the world. It's the Ravens versus the other 31 clubs. It's the Ravens versus the league. Uh, and also, I tend to be, it's about football. It's not about money. It's not about the bean counters. It's not about the salary cap. It's about football. And so for me, uh, I have to say, like, honestly, one of the most enjoyable parts of my job right now, and I never would have predicted this, is the salary cap, is negotiating with agents. It's, it's working with the cap. It's, it's really building out and saving money and doing really smart deals. And I never would have said that, Thomas, because I'm a scout by trade. Yeah. And they don't necessarily you know, gel very well. But for me, it's the most enjoyable part of the job right now. I love that. You're a very intelligent, insightful person, obviously. I've known that over the years. And, and talking today, you, can, you realize it quickly. What are you most encouraged by with regard to the NFL over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I've seen is the, is the, uh, the diversity initiatives, uh, specifically with, with women. And if you see the, the rise and the growth of women in our business, I mean, football is a, quote, has always been known as a very masculine sport. I mean, women don't typically, although some do in their leagues, but they don't typically play football, certainly in the NFL. Um, so there's always been that little kind of a stigma. I've got a daughter that's 18 years old. Uh, she's an aspiring uh, sports journalist. 
She loves the game of football. And to see all these women achieving these prominent positions is gratifying and exciting. And it makes me feel that the NFL is in a really good place. Conversely, if you were to look at the NFL in the next five to 10 years, what are you the most concerned about? I would say the health of our players. I, I would say the injuries. I, I think the concussion issue is something that uh, is uh, troubling to a lot of people. Uh, I think youth football is very, very important. Um, I don't know the numbers uh, of, 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 of children playing youth football, but uh, I hope, hopefully those numbers can, can, can continue to grow. Uh, I think coaching at that level is critically important. Uh, safety measures, equipment, technologies, and all these various things. But I, I am worried about that. Uh, I, I'm worried about the uh, effects of Toradol uh, right. as well. Um, but I think the, the health of our players and the health and the stability of the league moving forward due to these health issues is paramount. No question about it. Okay, on another topic that is really important, the league has made some significant strides uh, with regard to diversity and inclusion. It's something that you and I know we've talked about it. We feel strongly about you feel very strongly about it with, you know, mm -hmm. from a league perspective and, and, and from the Baltimore Ravens perspective. Uh, expound on that a little bit and talk about yeah. your club. Well, first, I would say the Ravens have always been, I think, at the forefront of diversity in the league because we had the first African-American uh, general manager in sports uh, in the NFL um, in Ozzie Newsom. So uh, that's always been something that we've, we've thought about. Uh, James Harris was with us, yeah. director of player personnel, went on to become general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, very proud of that. Marvin Lewis was our defensive coordinator, went on to be head coach of the Bengals. Uh, bane of my existence for many years because we always had a really hard time playing against the Bengals. Uh, but he, he was with us um, as our DC. Um, I think it's an issue that is something that is, is really, really important. Um, it was an issue that was important to Mr. Modell. Uh, it's an issue that is uh, extremely important to Steve Bishotti. And so uh, one of the things that people should know is that uh, Steve Bishotti just started uh, a scholarship for HBCU uh, in, in the Maryland area, uh, the, the four, four schools in the HBCU area. And it's known as the Ozzie Newsom uh, Scholarship. And so we're paying for uh, 20 uh, scholarships over a four-year span at the uh, historically black colleges in, uh, in Maryland, which is, which is very exciting. Um, we've also, uh, we've also we, we have a program with the Ravens, an internship program, a fellowship, where we hire uh, five fellows in scouting, coaching, video, training room and uh, player development. Uh, one in each of those departments every year, uh, which we're very proud of. Uh, we've got a uh, female director of nutrition, uh, dietitian Sarah Snyder, and fairly recently, uh, one of my uh, newest and, and best hires, we hired an analyst uh, in scouting on the uh, football side, Sarah uh, Malay Palay, who had been working, uh, who we're going to meet in a second, who was working for the Phillies. Uh, we were looking for an analyst or two analysts, mm -hmm. and uh, she came highly recommended. People don't know this, but the uh, one of the owners of the Phillies is uh, a guy named Sandy Buck, and Sandy is uh, a Colby College graduate and a mm -hmm. trustee. I happen to be a Colby College graduate and a trustee. 
So uh, Sarah was on our radar as a, a very bright, uh, albeit a little bit young at the time, but had, a, had the resume that we were looking for and the skill set. And so uh, we brought her in. She's working in a, in a high-profile position in football, and she's doing a great job. Eric, what is your philosophy on life balance, mind, body, and soul for yeah. yourself and for your staff? Yeah. Well, uh, I've never been, number one, I've never been a believer in like looking at the clock. Uh, when I started working back in 1996, Thomas, you know this, I mean, you've worked for some mm -hmm. serious taskmasters. Like, I always felt if I could do my job in 10 hours, I didn't need to spend 16 or 18 hours in the office. And so I would do it and I would go home. As I got older, I met my wife, Lacey. We, we started dating in 98. We got married in uh, 2001. Uh, we had our daughter Jane in 2003. It was very important. And I, again, I had a mentor in Ozzy, and I saw how he did things. But it was very important for me to make sure that I could get home and see my daughter before she went to bed. And I would. And I, I'd never apologize, even though I was building my career and I was a director of college scouting, whatever it was. And still, there's still this like stigma of leaving the office. I never felt that. And so... Uh, I think for me, it's like people always talk about like, you know, quality time versus quantity. And for me, I really want to be with them as much as possible. Quantity, just being there as much as possible, going to as many games as I can and not apologizing. And if that means I have to wake up early, you know, uh, and, and do my job. And so a lot of times before the draft, I'll get up early in the morning, like very early on the weekend and work four or five or six hours and come home before my kids are even awake. And I feel like I've cheated the system. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to live a healthy life. Uh, I try to eat well. Uh, I, I've always felt that, like, coaches, and you, and you know this, they, they, they binge and they, they gain weight, they lose weight, they gain weight, they lose weight. And I've always been a big proponent of health, my body, taking care of myself, working out. We, we, we're fortunate to work in this industry where we can work out, we can eat well. Uh, don't sleep as much probably as, as, as probably I should. Uh, but I'm a big believer in working out, uh, health, family time. And, uh, and, then, and then I have other hobbies too. I love to read. Uh, I'm, I'm a very curious person, I would say. I love spending time with my wife traveling when we can, although we, you, know, you have to pick and choose your spots. Right. But, but we do love to travel um, and just enjoy being together. You mentioned about reading. You're obviously a very intelligent, insightful person, and, and you're well-read. You're an English major, correct? Yeah, yeah. Love yeah, that. Yeah. I'm sure we could go on and on talking about that. Yeah. So as far as reading, as far as studying, again, we as GMs, uh, you and formerly me, we never had ch a chance to really dig into that as much as we'd like. But yeah. I think it's important to make sure that we have balance. Are you yeah. reading anything or studying anything that is helping you in your leadership, team building, yeah. morale side of things? Well, I read a lot, and uh, it just my mom was a voracious reader, and so I kind of adopted that uh, lifestyle. And so I'm always typically reading three or four books at a time. Now, I don't read as much as I used to, um, but in the summers, I'll typically read quite a bit. And so uh, I love storytelling, but I also love to learn. So I, I, I'll read a lot of history. Uh, I love a lot of military history. I love a lot of business stuff. I, I read a great book on uh, Netflix recently, uh, which I would recommend, about their culture, which I'm a big believer in reading about culture. 
I love reading about you know leadership, uh, presidents, uh, you know generals, uh, leaders of companies, CEOs. Uh, Michael Lewis is a great storyteller. I'm reading his book, The Premonition, which is about the pandemic, yeah. uh, which is fascinating. Uh, I'm a curious person, so the, for me, if if I come across something that is interesting to me. I'll read as much as I can about that specific thing. It could be data analytics. I went through a period when we started our program in analytics back in 12, where I read as much as I could about uh, analysis, data analysis, mm. uh, questions to ask, how to interpret data, because that was a weakness of mine. Um, I, I love reading about uh, different times, you know, the, 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 uh, the book about the uh, the Spanish flu uh, it was fascinating. I kept hearing about it and people saying this, this book, you have to read this book to understand the pandemic. So, uh, you know, that, I love reading about successful companies. I've read a lot about Apple and different things. And I think so many different things out there really do translate to what we're doing. And just the idea that like, there are so many smart people out there doing things. If you're not listening and paying attention, you're going to be stuck in the mud and other people are going to find ways to beat you. That's right. Differentiating yourself. I keep coming back to that. Yeah. You've obviously done a really good job differentiating yourself in this league as you continue to move into some serious uh, you know, parts of your career moving forward, hopefully for many, many years. So this is this is what I call the uh, um, I footnote the, the Tim Ferriss lifestyle yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. All right. Over the, the last three to five years, what new approach uh, philosophy or adjustment to your your life have you implemented that has changed your world significantly yeah well I would say that one of the things that I do is walk the hallways um, I tend to be more of an introvert and so and so I would rather just in, in a perfect world be in my office have a checklist of things to do and watch tape uh, mm -hmm. talk to coach and think about the roster and, and all that goes into it but I I will walk the hallways and talk to some people in sales and marketing talk to the video guys go down to the equipment room go down into the weight room ask people what they're doing what they're not doing what are their challenges what do they need and uh, it's it's not always easy for me to do that I find it, it, it it's it's not well, Thomas, you were an area scout, and you know, area scouts come in different, you know, different shapes and sizes. And so, some area scouts just want to like they, they they have that like high high B personality where they can talk to people and they can they can talk to all these different people at the school and all that. I was the guy that wanted to be in the dark room just watching the tape. So I'm not necessarily the type of guy that likes to you know I can't dance. Okay, I'm a bad dancer. I'm not the guy at the party that's literally in the or middle. figuratively. No, yeah. literally. Okay. So I'm not the type of guy that's going to be in the middle of the dance floor. I'm, I work the shadows. You know what I mean? But but I have forced myself to do that, and it's it's empowering, and it, it makes you feel connected to people, and it makes people feel that you care about what they're doing, and that you want to help them, and you want to be a solution for their problems, and that's that's been a secret, I think for me in the last couple of years. That's great. Look, I mean, when people start describing you as tough, hard-nosed, direct, cutthroat, I get that, but your, your personality, man, is so endearing and it's, it's been great hanging out here. I have one last question here yeah. before we go inside yeah, yeah, and yeah. do a little bit of uh, fun eating and, uh, and maybe a little bit more imbibing. Okay, I ask the guys all the time as I've been moving around the country, what is the one question that you feared that I was gonna ask you? Perens, you don't have to answer the question. Yeah, well, well, there's one question I get asked a lot, and it's like so old, and it's just basically like, why have you stayed with the Ravens 
for 25 years. And you know, if you've done a good job, if your team has had success in this business, you, you probably have some chances to like move around, take other jobs. And, and it would always be like, people would say to me, including some of my peers, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, if you could go be the GM of the Packers or the Bears or these other teams, like Seattle, like what, why would you stay? Like, what, what is it? You, 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 basically, you waited 12 years for this job and it would just get old and I would try to explain it to people and everybody has different motivations, Thomas, right? And you know, for me, it was like succeeding and winning the game of being a GM, but also like really honestly, like winning the game of life with my family. And my wife is from Baltimore, mm -hmm. right. huge advantage. Her family's in Baltimore, her mom's in Baltimore. But like having to answer that question over and over again, people would look at you. And I actually had people, someone you know very well one time, uh, I was at an all-star game and I was on the sideline and I had just you know, turned down an opportunity to, to look at a job, but it was a good job. Someone we know came up to me and said, hey, dude, what are you doing? Like, are you, are you, are you afraid? And they basically said, are you afraid to be a GM? Like you don't wanna, you just keep turning down opportunities because you're afraid to be a GM. And it, and, it, and it hit me the wrong way. Like it was like, it made, it hit my pride a little bit. It was like, no, I'm not afraid, but I wanna succeed. And I've seen all these people, like the longevity, it's a tough racket. I mean, you've talked to 16 GMs and you know, this is a tough racket and you should maximize your chances for success, right? Whatever you right. can do. So I looked at it as a game, like I'm playing chess and how can I win the game? I'm not in it for the short term, I'm in it for the long term, right. uh, but, but it does get old, you know, after a yeah. while. Well, you, you, you are perceived in such a positive way around the league. And yes, some people wondered, like, they're hoping for you to move on back in the day before you got your GM job. Yeah. They're like, take a job. Yeah, yeah, Keep yeah. it rolling. Yeah. And yet, you obviously, I look back and I listen to you talk about halfway through your answer here, I was thinking, you made the, the best choice ever and the most intelligent choice to be with this organization. You are so grounded here, Eric, and it's, it's so amazing to see as you continue to you know, progress through this GM job and the people around you, it's so solid and sound. Yeah. For you to go and whimsically take a GM job somewhere else, I'm not saying you would be whimsical yeah, yeah, at yeah, all, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've thought it out and to yeah. be well thought out. You do that in your approach to the draft and free agency, and of course you're doing it with your life, which, I mean, it's beyond commendable. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I look at you, uh, you know, 13 years? 13, yeah. 13 years, Ozzy, you know, I just, Kevin Colbert, the Kevin Colberts of the world, the Ted Thompsons of the world, the Mickey Loomises. Um, it's just hard not to respect. This is, a, this is as you know, it's a yeah. pressure-filled job. And like every year as a GM is like, it's say dog years, you know, seven years, it's probably 10 as a GM. And to see people like you have so much success, is uh, it's inspiring to me. Well, thanks again for sharing and to be around here. And I've shared this with guys on, and we'll talk about it inside a little bit. Sometimes when you're a GM, you have so much on your plate. I know that yeah. you, you, you have a, an amazing assistant in, in Jen, right? Yeah. I mean, Jen, yeah. Jen took care of business, man. You yeah. didn't have to worry about it. No, that's my first hire. Oh my gosh. You know? She's done a great job. She has. So, and she, she, I'm proud of Jen. She's, she's uh, extremely bright, um, but she's even a better person. Yeah. Well, you know you have to have the right surrounding cast, and, yeah. and she's obviously there for you, yeah. as well as Sarah and many, many other within your building. I can go on yeah. and on about a lot of those guys that I have a great deal of respect. Yeah. Thanks for joining me tonight. I can't wait to jump in here and eat some uh, really cool crab. Let's do it. Thanks, man. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Again, 
very easy to see why this guy is one of the rising stars in the GM world. Eric DaCosta, highly intelligent and highly directed. Um, from here, Baltimore, we're going to move over uh, a little ways in the country, over to Detroit and spend some time with Brad Holmes, very new at the position, obviously one year in. Uh, this is a really important draft for him coming off of a year that was you know, it was a it was a strong year in the sense of a lot going on in Detroit. But I think you'll really enjoy that journey as well. Again, he's got a lot of really interesting insights. And, um, you know, he was uh, mentored by the Les Snead, the Maverick Super Bowl winning general manager from the Los Angeles Rams. So don't forget to check us out next week when we head over to Detroit and spend time with Brad Holmes. You have been listening to The GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov. Continue to follow Thomas as he interviews GMs from your favorite NFL teams. The GM Journey has been produced by Alan Kastenbaum, Thomas Dimitrov, and Octagon Entertainment. Don't forget to download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. The GM Journey is distributed by the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.